Amen. Good morning, everybody. You all sound wonderful this morning. Thank you, Ethel, for that scripture reading. Today, we are going to continue a summer series that Tracy kicked off last week titled Red Letter Living. Now, in this summer series, we are paying attention to the red letters found in many of your Bibles. Now, the reason those words are written in red is because they are more unique and more significant than any other word that you will find there. Why? Because they are the words of Jesus as he inaugurated God's kingdom into the world. And what we are doing in this series is spending intentional time at different red letters so that we can understand Jesus differently, more profoundly, more practically. And this morning, just like you heard, you are going to hear words of Jesus that for many of you are probably very familiar. You are the salt of the earth. But what I want to do is I want to challenge you to hear these words differently this morning, to unload all your presuppositions, your former understandings of this word, and to hear it fresh. But first, I have a quick question for you. How many of you, with a show of hands, have a weird family tradition? You can just put your hand up, something weird, something quirky, something only your family does, only a couple of people in your family do. We got people pointing at other people, uh, other weird traditions. Yeah, okay, so not many of you, and that's okay, because they're not weird because you've done them your entire life. But if you ask somebody else, they likely are pretty weird. But I'm the same way as many of you. I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of a weird family tradition that I have, so I enlisted some of my friends. I sent out a message and said, hey, does anybody have weird, quirky family tradition you'd be willing to share? One of my friends, she messaged me back and said, you know, I have a weird one. It's not totally out there. It's just a little quirky, a little silly. I said, okay, well, I'll be the judge of that. Go ahead, tell me your story. She said, okay, so at Christmas time, my grandpa actually hands out an intentionally bad gift to some, one of my relatives. And I'm thinking, pause right there. <laughs> what, is, what is this bad gift that grandpa is giving out? Like, what is the range of bad here? Are we talking like an ugly sweater, or are we talking about something really outrageous, like a five-pound block of ham? Or like Bob Marley dreadlocks that he's been like stowing away in secret. Or like a hundred water balloons filled with Mountain Dew or a stuffed version of your pet. Like how weird, how outrageous is this present? And just as important, how does Grandpa decide who to give that gift to each year? Like the only thing I could think of is he just goes up to one of the relatives and says, well, you're my least favorite, so here you go. Like, that's the only thing I can think of, of like giving out an intentionally bad present. So I'm hooked. I want to know more. Tell me more. I said, I'm obviously going to use this example. So what happens next? So she says, well, as if it couldn't get any weirder, the whole family jumps in joy when this present is received by a relative. They then, as a family, they go outside and they put the present down and all of them grab baseball bats and sledgehammers, and they just begin destroying the present. 
Like, what? <laughs> Can you imagine being at this party, not knowing what's going on? You see Grandpa give this disgusting-looking gift to his 43-year-old nephew. The whole family jumps in joy. They go outside, and they just begin beating it until it's unrecognizable. I cannot imagine it. If you are here, and you're thinking, oh, you know, it doesn't sound too weird. You, my friend, have a weird family tradition, and I want to know more about it. Family traditions. They're weird, they're quirky, and... Regardless if we can think of them, we all have them. We all have something that we do. It's just part of being human, is we are weird. Is that we like things that identify us with a small group. So for me and my family, after thinking a little longer, it's not out, out there like smashing a bad gift, but we go and watch a movie every Christmas, Christmas Day. We go to the movie theater, we watch a movie. Uh, Thanksgiving, sometimes we, we are really in the mood for Asian food, so we'll go find an Asian restaurant and eat it. We hide a pickle ornament in our Christmas tree and then do a fun activity. It's just these weird things that our family does that makes it about us. And, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about tradition and history and family as I was developing this lesson. And do you want to know another strange history, strange tradition that's been with all humans for over 6,000 years. And it's our relationship with salt, this tiny mineral that's been impacting humans for over 6,000 years. We've had a relationship with salt. In fact, salt was, back in the day, was a huge commodity. You couldn't find salt in every single cupboard all over the, the world. It was something that was rare, that people loved, that people sought after. 6,000 years ago, <coughs> humanity found out that salt, among it, amongst its many qualities, actually had a preserving quality. That people would actually take like their loads of meat and they would cover it with salt and then tuck it away and it actually preserved the meat. The Egyptians got a hold of that and then they took it to a really weird place and said, okay, well we can preserve our bodies that way as well. Salt is one of the major components used in the mummification process for ancient Egyptians because it preserves, it maintains. I told you salt is a huge commodity. People actually would trade the weight of salt for the weight of gold. They wanted salt so much, and they didn't have any real value for their gold, so they would say, however much gold I have, I want that weight in salt. Other cultures, instead of having Neosporin, they would put salt inside of wounds. So if you, excuse me, if you cut yourself, if you got a gash while working out in the field, they would put salt in the wound, they would wrap it up, and then they recognize that salt healed. Still looking... Still looking at the history of salt, there was actually an ancient tribe named Israel. And this tribe, many of you are familiar with, had a special relationship with God. Now, in order to maintain that special relationship, uh, God had certain traditions, certain rituals, certain practices that he said, hey, if you practice and worship me this way, it will set you apart from all the other nations around you. You will be special. You will be mine. Now, one of those practices was the burning of incense, which you can see an image of here. Now, many scholars are still curious of what exactly the purpose of incense was, but for the most part, it 
was you burn, it's like an ancient candle. You burn, the smoke goes up, it gives off a pleasant smell. The Bible even says the smell was pleasing to God. And they would use this, some believe, as a physical representation of their prayers going up to God. It was used for, in their rituals, in their worship, for salvation, for asking forgiveness for their sin. They were giving a gift to God. Regardless of its practice, the major ingredient in incense is, you guessed it, salt. Salt. Salt was powerful. Salt was important. Back then, it helped set people right with God. It preserved, it healed, it did all of these incredible things. And I want to now remind you that we even use salt today. I'm, I'm currently uh, <coughs> counting my calories I'm trying to be more intentional about what I put in my body. I want to be healthy, and the things you don't count and record, they don't count. And so I'm trying to be more intentional, counting what I put in my body. One thing that is very difficult for me to get away from are these bad boys. Does anybody ever just go to McDonald's just to get the fries? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the honesty. Yeah, everything else there besides the milkshakes or the ice cream, trash. I don't want it. I don't like it. But they got their fries down stat. And I will go to McDonald's and I will get me fries. And whenever I get me an order of these, the first thing I do is I open that little salt packet. And I don't put a lot. I just put a little bit right there on top. All the grease soaks in the, that salt. And it makes it that much better. Boom. A little bit of salt makes it pop. Makes it so much better. A little bit, just a little bit, goes a long way in the way we use it. I'll give you another example. This is a more traumatizing one. So my, whenever I would get a sore throat as a kid, my mom would bring me a glass of nice, cool, refreshing water. Gives me life. It's nourishing. But then she was terrible and tortured me and would put just a little bit of salt in there. Anybody have this growing up? A little bit of salt, and then what did they make you do? Gargle it. It's torture for a child. It's like, you gave me something that gave me life, and then you made it undrinkable. In fact, you want me to gargle it and then spit it out. Absolutely terrible. Here's my point. A little bit of salt goes a long way. There's so much to salt. It's powerful. It's influential. It can make all the difference in the world. Now that we have that background, let's go back to our red letters. I want to understand. I want us to read what Jesus said to understand its context and to understand how it applies to us today based off of what we know about salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So the question, what is Jesus doing here? Why, why make this statement about salt? Well, he's actually doing something pretty remarkable. Like whenever he used the illustration of a mustard seed. Some of you might be familiar with that. He's trying to get his audience to see something that is seemingly insignificant. Like a mustard seed, like a grain of salt. And for them to recognize that something that is seemingly trivial or mundane can actually have a huge impact on the world. He has, or as we have established, salt is minuscule. It's this tiny little mineral. But even a small bit of salt has the power to heal, has the power to preserve, 
and has the power to flavor even in small doses. And so today, what I want to do with you is I want to show you how a small short statement, you are the salt of the earth, about a small mineral, salt, can actually have a strong, useful impact on your life. Because in this short phrase, Jesus is going to emphasize three critical principles for us. Three critical principles that in and of themselves might seem small and insignificant, but actually have huge significance. And if the church wants to be a body, an entity that can preserve and heal and flavor our community. Let's go to the first one. What's the first principle Jesus wants, us, wants to bring out in this small phrase? Is that we must congregate instead of isolate. And you're thinking, how did you get that from we are the salt or you are the salt of the earth? Congregate. We need to come together instead of isolate, parse out, and be alone. I think an issue for many Western readers of the Bible is we read the Bible through individualistic eyes. What I mean by that is we are far less concerned about how something applies to the community, and we are far more concerned on how something applies to me individually. And that narrow-mindedness is not secluded to just our faith, to our religion and relationship with God. I mean, you could go from one spectrum of politics and lawmaking. We care more about how a certain law would affect me and my life more than we care about how a law might affect the community that we live in. And these laws can range from abortion laws, gun control laws, environmental laws. We are constantly asking that question, well, how does this change what happens to me in my life? And far less concerned of what happens in our community. So it's as extreme as the laws we put in practice to as small and trivial as our entertainment. I mean, think of all your subscriptions that you have. Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu, everybody has their own profile. Their own profile has your name on it. And everything in that profile is tailored towards you. What you like, what your preferences are, even our mode of entertainment is focused on us. So then we carry that individualism and we pour it into our Bible readings. Here's the thing, though. You, you are not the salt of the earth. You are not the salt of the earth. That's not what Jesus says here at all, if you look at the original language. And this is where our Texan friends can help us out. You are not the salt of the earth. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all. You all are the salt of the earth. Jesus is looking at a community of people who have taken it out of their day, out of their life, to follow Jesus when he says these words. People who may not know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but are taking the first step towards it. He is addressing a community of people who are interested in Jesus. You could even say, the church is the salt of the earth, but you, you are not as an individual. And this is so important for us to cipher out in our minds, in our readings, because whenever you are born again as a Christian, you are not born into a vacuum. You are born into a community of people who are just as messed up as you are, who make the same mistakes, who have the same passions, who dream and fail and succeed just like you. 
Pew Research released a study a couple years ago that said 27% of Americans, that's over a quarter of Americans, will make the statement, I am not religious, but I am spiritual. I don't want to follow religion, I want to follow spirituality. Now, there certainly is a negative connotation attached to religion. We're going to put that to the side. I also do not know every single reason somebody might say that. But from the people I've talked to that make this statement, what they are primarily saying is that my relationship with God is a private, personal experience that I have with God. I am spiritual. I'm not religious. But here's the truth. God created us as social animals. We need to be connected with other people. In fact, if COVID taught us anything, it taught us how terrible it feels to be isolated from the people that we care about most and the people who care about us. The early Christian community, they had this down. They came together. They celebrated. They broke bread together. They thought and remembered the sacrifice of Jesus together. All of this practices that you have to do in community. We don't exist as social isolates, nor should we. But we live in a community. We practice things that only make sense when they are done in a community. And so this statement that you are the salt of the earth is not a saltiness that you obtain on your own. But it's an attribute given to the body of Christ, to the body of believers in front of Jesus, and it's the body that you have been grafted into. So in order for us to have a meaningful impact on our community, to heal it, to preserve it, then we must do it as a unified church, not as isolated individuals. We must congregate instead of isolate. Another critical principle Jesus pulls out in this verse, he says, y'all are, or you all are, the salt of the earth. We need to identify our new identity. We need to identify our new identity. Now, this is a big deal. And this, of, of the three, this one's going to be likely the most challenging for many in this room. But if we can get this right, if we can truly identify our identity, then we can really have a lasting impact on this world. So notice, Jesus says, you all are, you are the salt of the earth. Now that is not a goal to achieve, that is an emphatic statement. Meaning, this is not something you are striving to become, this is something that you are. If you are in Christ, you are the salt of the earth. The irony is that religion, for many people, has morphed into us trying to become something we already are in Christ. For many, our identity has turned into the boundaries or the limitations that we have established instead of our identity being what Jesus says for us to live out. Let me give you some examples. And I don't want to step on toes here. I want to establish what these boundaries are. For example, some of the boundaries we might set. What is the mode and the order of salvation? Does our 
communion match what we see in the Bible? What is our mode of baptism? We have extended conversations about determining should Christians vote? Should women pray? Should guitars be played? Should kitchens be attached to church building? And for many, religion has morphed into just us getting all of these answers right. Establishing the correct boundaries so that we can make sure we are inside the fence. But I want you to think about something this morning. If you were to take and compile 20 doctrinal issues, and we're just going to stick with the Church of Christ. We're not going to go to other traditions, other faiths, other churches. We're just going to stick with us. 20 doctrinal issues that have been debated over for years. Everything from instrumental music to women in leadership to communion being available to non-Christians and so forth. The various number of combinations that you could have between those 20 doctrinal issues would number over 60 million options. If you, and that's just 20 doctrinal issues, if you just added two more, two more issues with all the variables and all the possible combinations, it would number over half a billion. Half a billion opinions out there, and you have to get it just right. Now, is that what God expects of us? Getting all the answers right to what we have deemed the most important questions. Because if church is about everybody agreeing on every issue, well, I look around this church and I say, well, we're in trouble then. Because I know this room is filled with different opinions. Now, I'm not saying these things are not important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be constantly evaluating and discussing these things. But doctrinal issues are not what we worship here. And personally, I think we are doing something bigger than checking off doctrinal boxes when Christ's body gathers together. We don't focus on the boundaries, we focus on Jesus. We don't worship the boundaries, we worship Jesus. We're not becoming our limitations and our boundaries, we are becoming Jesus. And instead of us focusing on what divides us, we need to have far more concern about what unites us. To focus our energy there. And Jesus tells us in this short verse of what we should be living out of. He says, you are this thing. You are the salt of the earth. So maybe we need to be out of the workshop to stop refining and defining and reminding and repeating what we think we are. Instead, fully embrace who Jesus says we are. And that is an identity shift. That's a shift of priorities. But Jesus says, because you are in Christ, Christ's spirit is in us, and therefore we are the salt of the earth. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Second Corinthians. If anybody is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. In Christ, you are a brand new creation. God has made you brand new. And the old things that used to define you, those things are taken away. God used to identify you as your, his enemy. Now he identifies you as his child. You are a sinner. Now through Jesus you are made righteous. You are the salt of the earth if you are in Christ. And that means we should be flavoring, making unique, purifying, and preserving 
the world we've been in. Our responsibility now is to claim ownership of that new identity, to claim it for ourselves and to begin acting like we actually believe it in the way we live and treat those around us. We have to identify our new identity that we are in Jesus, that we are the salt of the earth. And today, we can begin healing and preserving and flavoring our community. And then lastly, what do we draw from this short phrase is we, do, we must not miss our mission. So Jesus established community language. You all, he established uh, identity. You all are the salt. And then finally, Jesus established our mission. You all are the salt of the earth. A mission that we might have lost sight of over time. So in the summer of 1873, a cholera epidemic broke out in Nashville area. It was a cruel and deadly disease. It killed a thousand of the 25,000 residents that could be found in Nashville. Now, during that period was a well-known man, editor, Christian preacher by the name of David Lipscomb, who's here on the screen. Now, while the residents of Nashville were pouring out of the city, David Lipscomb in his buggy was riding into the city. You see, Roman Catholic nuns, they were on the front line of the epidemic, and Lipscomb was there. And as nuns were treating all of the residents in their home, David Lipscomb was dropping the nuns off throughout the city in his buggy. Now, criticism, criticism of Lipscomb's actions were unbelievably alive while this was happening. People said things like, well, he has his priorities wrong. He should be taking care of himself. He was a fool. The gospel is not about saving lives. It's about saving souls. And you might think, man, that's pretty harsh. But many of those criticisms can be found today. We might say things like, giving to the poor is a waste of our resources. You know, they are responsible for their own condition. They're just looking for a handout. Why should I care about them? It's because Jesus said to seek and to save the lost. Or as David Lipscomb would say after his experience in Nashville, the religion of our Savior was intended to make us like Christ, not only in labor of love, of our self-sacrifice for the good of others, but also in raising us above a timid, quaking fear of death. If it does not make us willing to brave death and spend our time and money for the good of our suffering fellow creatures, offcast and sinners though they be, it does not raise us above a mere empty profession that leaves us scarcely less than hypocrites. In other words, it's not our mission to save the souls of people. It's our mission to be a witness to the world. Jesus saves souls. We must not lose sight of who saves souls. Jesus saves souls. In fact, churches die all around the country because they lose sight of who they are in Christ because many of them have lost sight of Christ. So why are we talking about salt? Why do we need to know the history of it? Why it's so powerful that a little bit of it goes a long way? It's because years ago, 
in the middle of its power, in the middle of its influence, Jesus had something very important to say about salt. He said, you, you all are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. There is goodness about the church. In fact, the leadership and most people here, we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. That there is power, and when God's people come together, that the church has the power to erode decay. We have the power to add value, to season, and to flavor. We are a preserving entity. And we're not preserving traditions and rituals. We are preserving goodness that is found in God. We are not the kingdom of God ourselves. But as I heard it once said, we are an outpost of God's kingdom. That we are a reflection of what will come when God's glory reaches its fullest. We are an outpost. We are a reflection of the goodness of God's kingdom. So that is the question we should be asking ourselves every time we come together. Is the Vero Beach Church of Christ salty? Are we salty? Do we bring preservation against decay? Are we people who cure and who sterilize? Do we add value to the community that we have been placed in at this time, at this point in history? Are we really the salt of the earth? Because pay attention in your verse, to the dire warning if we do lose our saltiness. God our Father is glorified when His children do as they were intended to do. And that is to bring witness to Him. And that isn't a private experience. It is an experience by a community of men and women who have come to the realization that Jesus Christ really is who He said He was that he really was and is the king of the universe. And as we, his people, as those who have been born again, who have entered into the newness of life, who are empowered with his spirit, which alone makes us salty, we have come to the realization that our greatest responsibility is to be a witness of our Savior. That is what we've been called to do. Or as Paul would say it, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. And man, if we could just simply live for that one thing so that we might know Christ, so that we might make him known. You are, you all are the salt of the earth. Let's go and be salty.